Introducing your starting lineup for the NBA's Most Valuable Podcast. He's a 5'10 forward out of Carleton University. Give it up for Bradford. Guard, also out of Carlton University, some call him the Filipino Jalapeno. Give it up for JPEG, John Welcome back. This is the NBA's most valuable podcast. I'm John Gallardo, and alongside me, as always, is Jeffrey Tram. We're back with season two to cover the newest season of the NBA. But first, we've got a new graduate, a fresh graduate to congratulate. Hey. Jeff, how have you been, man? I feel so much better. You know, 2021 is a new year. Um, I just graduated just finished my last semester school during a pandemic has been difficult uh online classes uh managing exams but i'm glad i'm just done with that and now i can commit to um, more of my career 2021 right hopefully it's going to be a better year than 2020 i'm excited and positive well yeah that's definitely the right attitude to have but i can say right off the bat as raptors fans there hasn't been anything really to be positive about at all for the team it's been a really crazy start to the season i mean we've seen so many influxes and weird positions in the standings you see like the magic at top of the east at one point you saw the Kings start out 2-0 and and you know it's been really weird but we're going to be here to talk about all of those things today on this podcast we're definitely going to be talking raptors for sure number one on our priority list We're going to talk about the surprising teams, maybe the more disappointing teams. We're also going to talk about the standout players that have really performed well to start out the season. So first off, we got to address the big elephant in the room, the Raptors. I started checking out once they lost a lot of games. I was like, okay, they lost again. They lost again. But man, it just feels like we're going back to those days when the Raptors were like completely trash. Yeah, I mean, I'm not used to losing games. We're so used to, especially in the regular season, we've always been a dominant team. Uh, we always exemplified, like, good team basketball. And this record is not sitting well with me. I know it's definitely not sitting well with you. Yeah, I, I, I jumped the gun a little bit. They're mm-hmm. actually still 1-6. But regardless, whenever it's a loss, it's a loss. I'm angry. I just turn off the TV. I check out. I have to write the post game sometimes for ball and roll, so I do that. But man, it's just been tough to watch. So I guess we can start out with sort of talking about the reasons why the Raptors have this losing record to start out the season. And I think right off the bat, when I watch this team, the eye test tells me that our center position is lacking in terms mm-hmm. of its rotation. So Chris Boucher, he's performed really well so far to start the season, to my surprise. 
because he's usually somewhat inconsistent throughout the season. He has some big games followed up by some, you know, sort of lackluster performances. But this year, Boucher has been the most reliable big in the rotation. And that's saying something. And then you got Alex Len, who, let's be honest, we didn't expect too much from him. Yeah, low expectations, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's going to come into the game for maybe like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, depending on the matchup. He's going to provide size, rebounding. He can shoot the ball occasionally, which was kind of surprising. But Aaron Baines, man, Mm. Aaron Baines, he looks lost out there. To me, he looks lost just in terms of his defensive rotations. He doesn't rebound with urgency. And he definitely does this really weird sort of like push shot at the left side of the, the painted area. And it looks so weird. Like, come on, man. If you just get a little bit closer, it's going to be an easier shot. But Baines, by far, he's probably the biggest reason, in my opinion, why the Raptors are struggling. Well, also, yeah. So, of course, yeah, Baines and the subtraction of two guys in Serge Ibaka and Marcus Saul. You know, watching some of the Lakers games, it's it's been tough to see the chemistry between Gasol and LeBron. Um, Gasol mm-hmm. using his playmaking ability, uh, Serge Ibaka uh, fitting decently well with the Clippers. Um, but you're right, Aaron Baines. You know, we were sold on this idea that okay he wasn't going to be as good as either of those guys but he was going to be a complimentary player someone who can stretch the floor someone who did play in a san antonio spurs offense he we didn't have even though he was someone that we were going to use to replace those guys we didn't have too much of expectations of baines but i don't even think he's fulfilling those expectations yeah he's vastly underperforming right now And when we talk about the Raptors' DNA as a team, especially the last couple seasons, the biggest part of their offense is getting out on the fast break, getting those easy opportunities to score. And a lot of that is getting the defensive rebound. And when your bigs can't secure those defensive rebounds, Mm -hmm. it puts so much pressure on other players on the roster to be primary rebounders. So we expected, you know, Pascal, OG, those type of guys to contribute on the glass. But now guys like Fred have to get in on the action, Kyle Lowry. It makes it just overall harder for your team when you have to get more production out of players that not, are not necessarily expected to produce at the on the glass. So I think that's like one of the key things they need to address right now is their rebounding. Right, absolutely. I mean, I believe in the last game I saw something about how at some a certain point, like Lowry was out rebounding, Baines, Len and uh boucher uh combined you know and we can talk i think we can talk a little bit more about uh nick nurse's rotations but i think you you mentioned earlier that boucher's of boucher's play i think he deserves more playing time especially with the poor play or lackluster play of the other two yeah and it definitely depends too on the matchup because if we're going up against a guy like joel Embiid, nikola jokic Mm -hmm then obviously we won't, we won't see a lot of time with Boucher at the center position. But in the minutes that he's played at the power forward spot, have looked very promising alongside a guy like Alex Len, for example. So yeah, definitely I'd like to see Boucher get a little more time considering how productive he's been. But in terms of Nick Nurse's rotation, it's just been so weird because if you look at other teams around the league, and obviously we don't want to compare other teams in to the Raptors because every team is different 
but if you look at every other team in the league, there's some semblance of a proper rotation among most teams in the NBA now. And Nick Nurse, he's still struggling to become comfortable with a, a certain rotation where you see guys like Matt Thomas. He played the first two games in the season, and we haven't seen him since. Terrence Davis has gotten minutes here and there. You know, even our boy Malachi Flynn, he got some time in that game versus Boston and didn't look too spectacular. So there's just no consistency at all in terms of this rotation. And then the next day you hear Nick Nurse starting to call out players, complaining about their play, saying he's disappointed in them. So this might be like the first time I genuinely, I, this might be the first time I actually criticize Nick Nurse because you can criticize the play of your players, but if you're giving them inconsistent minutes and not giving them the time to show what they can do on the court, then that, that seems like it's kind of hypocritical to me. Well, what, are, what is one of the characteristics of Nick Nurse's coaching that we, we would compliment sometimes is how he would, he's versatile. He can change plays on the, uh, on the fly. He's very experimental. And I think with this, I think he's just being very experimental with the rotation, but I think it's a bit too much because then you like the things you were talking about, lack of consistency. Um, I don't know if certain players get the fair chance to really prove themselves in the minutes that the limited minutes that Nick Nurse gives. So you're right. I agree. There needs to be some consistency. There needs to be. I, I it's hard to say because when you look at a guy like Malachi Flynn versus more a guy like Matt Thomas or Terrence Davis. It's they're players that have different roles, different skill sets. And I think with him, the way he coaches, he wants to use those. He's looking at the skill set versus the matchup. And that's why he does that experimental stuff. But um, I don't know what he's going to do in the future. And he shouldn't be too upset when players are, um, upset about the situation. And I think too, it's, it's just that this sort of inconsistency in a rotation, it really rattles young players, especially like you're not going to see it from guys like Norman Powell, for example, because he's been through this here and there. And if he doesn't get as much minutes in one game versus the next game, it's whatever, he's going to move on to the next game. But when you see guys like, for example, Malachi Flynn, uh, Matt Thomas, although Matt Thomas is generally he's he's a lot older than what we think he is we also got guys like terrence davis for example those type of guys will get rattled when they have such variance in their minutes so i would just think that you know we don't know what's going on in practice either i'll say that because that's also a big part in how coaches decide their rotations but i just think nick nurse he needs to find a consistent rotation soon if the raptors are going to dig themselves out of this hole that they're currently in and he needs to do it quick or else, you know, the losses are going to start piling up. Then, you know, once we play the good teams, it's going to be close. Like, for example, those games against Boston, we, mm-hmm. we were coming back towards the end, but we lost it. And against Phoenix, for example, we had a pretty big lead and then we lost again. It's going to be more difficult to win against the good teams. So you would think that we have to get it going against some of the worser teams in the league. We can't be losing to the, like the Pelicans, for example, because right. those, are te- those are wins that we need in order to build chemistry. You know, I will point this out, and I don't think it's like 
should be used as like a main excuse. But I would like to say that they are playing in Tampa Bay. Mm. Uh, they're not. They're away from their families, I believe, and that gives them a bit of a disadvantage in that sense. Now, how much does that translate to actual play? We we don't really know, but I would like to point that out. It's a little different. Yeah, and in that Celtics game, you could hear clearly the fans in Tampa are pro Boston versus pro Raptors. So it's it's tough to be on home court and then still have the fans cheer for the opposing team. At one point, yeah, but, they were cheering Taco. So, but that, see, think about painful. it this way: like that. What what about a team like Detroit? Detroit's used to like the Raptors. That's true. Uh, their arena. This That's is true. <laughs> we're finally getting a taste of that. It's only because of the circumstances we're in. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I mean that just goes to show how like trash the Pistons fans have been the last couple of years and how trash the Pistons have been. But yeah, I guess you know some circumstances do play in a little bit into what's going on. And in terms of, you know, the Raptors having a very short preseason, you know, training camp, all of those things have been shortened. But you can also make the argument that those things have been shortened for every team in the league. Everyone, yeah. And not everyone in the league even has fans in general to cheer for them in their arenas. So you could argue that it's circumstantial for the Raptors, but there are also some caveats that you'd have to consider before doing those things. So I guess we can also take the time now to address Pascal Siakam's play Mm -hmm. because he's by far the player that's getting most of the, I guess, quote unquote blame for the Raptors struggles to start the season. At times he's looked like the Siakam we saw in the bubble, you know, very passive, not aggressive and decisive in his movements and just struggling overall from the field, struggling to make plays, you know, in the games that I've seen him play, his passes have been really boom or bust. He tends to make these passes inside to like Baines, for example, that are just either too low or there's too many players around Baines for it to be an effective pass. And then, you know, I just like to see him attack the rim more because Pascal is most effective when he's being aggressive, attacking the rim, drawing the defense. And then if he does that, that should open up his game everywhere else in terms of this new mid-range game that he's flashed, which has looked pretty effective in the times that he's used it. In terms of his distance game, opening up more opportunities for the three-point shot and opening up opportunities for other teammates to shoot the three. Because as we know, that's a big part of the Raptor offense. For me, something must be going on mentally. I think the lack of confidence in himself. I remember seeing something during the bubble that made me kind of relieve some of the criticism I've had of him during the bubble and made me believe that, you know, this coming season, it's going to be different because it was the bubble was just a very circumstantial situation. He, w- he was playing well earlier that year, and then the, the halt and play, the bubble, I gave him a bit of a pass, even though others were very critical of him. Coming into this year, you know, I did have expectations of him. I felt like he was going to be more motivated but you're right. He's not attacking the rim. He's being very passive. His costly turnovers. For me, I don't understand what, what it is. Though, again, it is still fairly early, but the games do count more because it's a shortened season. So he better try to fix up soon. And for the, you know, the critiques come from the fact that he is supposed to be our franchise player, the player we're yeah. supposed to build around. Um, so we have a high bar for him. And 
up to this point, we've only seen him grow, develop, develop. And finally, we're seeing him stall a little bit. And if this is the max that we see him, then people don't know if that, like, if he's worth that max money, you know, exactly. And it's a tough situation. I, I still say it's a bit early out. I, I want to see him out, see him play the season out and go from there. For sure. And like you were saying, there is the pressure that comes with being the max player. You know, that's not a pressure that everybody's built for, but I'd, I'd imagine that Siakam is able to overcome it. I'd hope so as a Raptors fan. And when we just look at other players around the league, for example, like forwards that have gotten max deals in the last year or two, you know, you got guys like Brandon Ingram, Jason Tatum. Those guys are starting to take on that mantle of being the, the number one go-to scorer for their team. And we don't necessarily know yet if Pascal can be that guy. We've seen him do that for maybe half a season, which was last season. And then the second half of the year after All-Star break, he kind of just fizzled out until you know, the, the hiatus and then the bubble happened. So we haven't really seen that Pascal Siakam we know he can be in more or less about a year now. So we're waiting to see if he can actually be that guy. And to be fair, his defense has held up. He's still a very good defender. And he did show some positive signs in that Phoenix game, just in terms of being more decisive with the ball, in terms of, you know, attacking the basket, making passes for his teammates. And it's important to note that he makes the right, he made the right passes in that game. I think especially, you know, the criticisms going from last year was that one could argue that if Siakam was on his A game, the Raptors could have beaten the Celtics. Yeah, that's and definitely a fair thing to say. Because every other player was playing well, and it was really obvious that he wasn't, and he was stunting the team. And um, I really hope he can, whatever he's dealing with, because it's not his talent. Like He has the talent to be a franchise player. I really believe him. And his, his story, his work ethic, I, I do believe him instill. So I'm, I'm rooting for him. For sure, for sure. And just in terms of some other things we need to address, we also got to talk a little bit about Norman Powell. I mean, it's, I guess it's kind of disrespectful that I wrote this in our, uh, in our doc here, but I wrote it, wrote it up as abnormal Powell <laughs> just because he's looked anything but his normal self to start the season. You see Nick Nurse in the scrums. And he just talks about how Norman Powell is like completely disappointing right now. And to be fair, he's right because he doesn't look anything like himself. So, for example, you see Norman Powell drive to the rim and it just seems like he's attacking the rim with no plan, no purpose. He doesn't have like any idea what he's going to do. He just attacks the rim for the sake of attacking the rim. And then he either gets blocked at the rim or it's a turnover. Mm-hmm. His shot has been like hit or miss, mostly miss. So I don't know what's what's going on with Norman Powell because honestly I I have no answers for you. You're right on the on dot with that. You know I think of Game Seven last year where he drove and Mark Smart made that block on him and just like yeah he's being aggressive but but lacking the IQ part of things and kicking it out and that type of stuff. With Norman Powell, you know he has been like inconsistent throughout his career partly due to injuries you know and I remember many times where he just when he's about to break out and really show show that he can be a six-man candidate he gets injured 
And so for me, it's hard to, you're right. I don't have the answer to like, I don't know. I assume he's healthy right now. I do not have any idea. I want the Norman Powell that at his best when he was averaging like 20 during a hot stretch. And obviously he, well, maybe not 20, but at least like 15, I want 15 to 17 yeah. off the bench, you know, um, especially since he's making decent money and he's been a big part of the team for a while. So he is very, very important. Yeah. Um, I have no idea. <laughs> the Raptors need his production for sure. If you think about last year when Pascal had those games where he would struggle, it wasn't always just Kyle Lowry or Fred Van Fleet that was going to step up. It was oftentimes Norman Powell that was really taking on the load as a primary scorer in the offense. And the Raptors don't need him to be that guy every night. And he's not going to be that guy every night. But if you have him at least, you know, like you're saying, average at least a 15 or 17, go off for the occasional 25 to 30, that really helps your offense. And that's been the biggest struggle for the Raptors so far is this, the ability to score. They're just having trouble scoring against good defenses. So I think it would really help out if a guy like Norman Powell could get back on track. So we'll have to wait and see on Norman Powell. But I think the, the most telling thing about this Raptors team right now, above all, is the amount of 10-point leads they've blown in the games that they've played. I think they've had a 10-point lead in almost every game they've played, except for maybe Phoenix. I didn't watch that game too attentively until the fourth, but I do remember the Raptors being up at some point. So I think that's just a sign that, you know, they're scoring droughts. They can't keep going on scoring droughts. And that's just due to the fact that they lack offensive creators on the team. So you talked earlier about Marcus Saul's chemistry with LeBron James, for example. I think Marcus Saul was a big loss for the team because mm -hmm. outside of Kyle Lowry, he was a playmaker on the team. And we can talk about Fred Van Fleet's playmaking ability, but let's just be honest. It's, it's not, not on the level of a Kyle Lowry or a Marcus Saul. That just goes to show that we need more playmaking outside of Kyle Lowry because when he sits, the offense just continues to stagnate. Well, that's what Siakam, like he he could he should be that guy where you know he can create his own offense, but then to the point where he can draw double teams and then kick it out and then facilitate have this team offense, you know. Um, and then we again Norman Powell can do the same thing using his aggressiveness to uh, attract help and then kick it out that type of thing. Like you're absolutely right. Like there isn't much playmaking outside of Kyle Lowry. Fred Van Fleet's more of like a scoring guard. So there's that. And then there's also the lack of a person who has the confidence to take the shot, you know? Um, again, that should, that should be Siakam. And uh, Kyle Lowry has, is basically carrying that load, and he shouldn't at his age yeah. and um, his role, you know? So it's, it's been really frustrating and a little, uh, pretty ugly to watch at times. Definitely. It's like the Raptors right now are like a team in the 90s that you'd watch. Like the 90s basketball, it was, it was characterized by tough defense and there was like very little offense. So if you just watch a throwback game from the 90s, you could probably see a team that looks like the Toronto Raptors. And that's just not going to cut it in today's NBA, for example. So 
long story short, they definitely need help on offense. So in terms of talking about how the Raptors can sort of, I guess, solve their problems or any like solution they can have for their problems right now, I think, like I was alluding to earlier, the biggest thing they need to address is getting a new center or getting some help from the center position, whether that's Baines actually coming through and providing on the things we expected him to provide, which is you know rebounding, some tough defense inside, and some shooting. Albeit, we'll probably not get all three of those things from him. But if you can provide on at least two or consistently rebounding at the very bare minimum, that's already going to be a very big help for the Raptors to start out. Uh, if you're on Twitter, you know Baines is struggling when the Baines fan club hasn't tweeted in days. Yeah, Baines fan club is MIA. Yeah, like he can't defend that. Like this is just, this is poor for Bane standards, and there's nothing. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's, it's really definitely uh, very sad to see, but also kind of funny because the Bane's fan club is one of the awesomest Twitter pages you can find out in uh, Twitter. Oh, I just love how well they're they're able to spin Bane's into every sports story. It is so funny, so creative. Yeah, but. Baines fan club is uh, missing in action. So definitely it'd be cool if Baines picked up his play so we can see uh, an appearance from the Baines fan club again. But Mm -hmm. I think too, we ought to also talk about Serge Ibaka and a story that recently came out the past week. So long story short, Serge Ibaka, he was going to come back to the Raptors, albeit the Raptors lowballed him once and then they gave him a a better offer, which he was going to accept. But the thing that irked Ibaka was that the Raptors were also trying to get Marcus Saul still to retain both those guys. And then, you know, Gasol would be that de facto starting center still. And then Serge Ibaka would be coming off the bench again. And that was just a role that Ibaka wasn't going to accept. So in reality, what happened was Ibaka left for the Clippers, as we all know, and Marcus Saul left for the Lakers. And when I just look at these games, like real quick, we're losing these games by like 10, 12, 14 points. And I'm thinking that's like the production that we would have gotten from Ibaka on a consistent basis for the most part, because he was very solid on offense. He's a good rebounder. And I just feel like letting him go was a big mistake. Well, I don't know how much of that is like to be true because I feel like he had an idea that the Raptors would want to keep both. That would make sense. And Serge, I don't think he got much more uh, signing with the Clippers. So I, just straight up say that you wanted to go for a winning team. You knew that the, I'd rather him say like the Raptors were not like going to be a championship contender. He wanted to go to a championship contender. Kawhi was his best friend. Just say it like that. Like, I don't think that I think he was trying to like, kind of like defend himself and just make it seem like, Oh, I wanted to be with the Raptors. When in reality, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I buy that. I think he just he just wanted to win a championship. Yeah, I could definitely see that as a move of Ibaka sorting, sort of trying to save face with the Raptors fans, because mm-hmm. we all know how much everybody loves him in Toronto. Everybody loves Mufuzi Chef, but you know, I still think that the Raptors the, they made a mistake by not bringing back at least one of them, and I think and it was, was wishful there- thinking to get both. Yeah, and was there any insinuation that there was some kind of like a little bit of a beef between Gasol and Ibaka by that? 
because that's what yeah, I read that's, that's what I was thinking too. The the story was insinuating that there was some sort of tension there, which, you know, albeit the Raptors are a locker room that never let any of these things yeah. out in the public, so we never really know. The only people that know are the the people that literally work inside the team, and that stuff never gets out. But to hear that there was potential tension between those two, and then looking at the Raptors' chemistry issues right now, like uh, just an example, I saw. I think it was in the Celtics or Pelicans second game with the Raptors. I think Baines got knocked down by Steve Adams or one of the Celtics bigs. And then Kyle Lowry was like, Oh, he's offering his hand to help him up. And Baines just like refuses it or he doesn't see it. I don't know, but it just seems like the chemistry issues are not, not there right now. There's bad vibes in the locker room. We saw Pascal Siakam leave early versus the Sixers. Then he got suspended after that. So I think the Raptors just need to really get on the same page in terms of, you know, wanting to win, playing for each other. I think that's right. the biggest thing they need to do right now. Yeah, well, the family culture, that's the, the culture that I'm, I'm used to with the Raptors. Like, I love that, like, dynamic of family and, you know, unity, playing for a country. And I think a bit of that's lost. You, you bring up a good point. And on the note of, like, back to uh, Ibaka and Gasol, like, I don't... Uh, whatever the beef was it's kind of it's kind of a bit frustrating because though that duo i i always looked at that duo as like the combination of one superstar center right mm. because yeah. you know ibaka provides a few different things gasol provides a different things you know and to keep just one i don't think that like then you just lose the other skill set you know gasol's playmaking versus uh, Ibaka's ability to make consistent shots. Um, it's its a loss losing both of them because we just lost basically a superstar center in my, my view. Yeah. And just in terms of the things the Raptors can do right now to remedy that, I mean, obviously I said Baines playing better is one of those things, but there are also potentially players that you can try to make a move for in in a trade in order to try to remedy some of these problems. Just before we mention the big name that everybody's talking about right now, a couple guys I'd see that I'd like to see the Raptors pursue, guys like a Miles Turner, for example, or Sabonis, mm. if those guys are available. Although, albeit, I don't think they're going to be available with Indiana. Pacers are looking start. pretty decent this year. Yeah, Nate Bjorken is out here really coaching them really well. They've got a good team culture right now. Malcolm Brogdon and Oladipo are playing very well as well. Yeah, Brogdon especially. But if you think about a guy like a Miles Turner, for example, he fits in well with the Raptors because he can shoot. He's a rim protector. That's exactly what the Raptors need right now. Sabonis so would probably be way out of the picture because yeah, he, he was an all-star last year. Yeah. So. You'd have to give up a lot to get him. And I don't think necessarily he would probably, if you couldn't get Turner, yeah, sure. But Sabonis so would we probably, give up for him though? That's we, the thing. Like if you think about it, the Pacers would probably want OG or someone like yeah, that. And you can't give up OG in a trade for Miles Turner. But there's just some guys I thought would potentially fit into the roster well. Just a pipe a pipe dream anyway. But the big name we got to address is James Harden. Mm. <laughs> James Harden. Yeah. We're just jumping the gun right now talking about James yeah. Harden potentially uh-huh. getting traded to the Raptors. Now, when we talk about offense, the Raptors, they're, I think, dead last in the league or in the bottom teams in the league in terms of offensive rating. And 
if you insert a guy like James Harden into your offense, well, he is the offense when you insert him in. So Mm -hmm. I think that would be a quick fix for the Raptors' offensive problems. But when we talked earlier just about team culture and stuff, he could potentially ruin that. You know, he, he could even just say, I don't want to play for the Raptors. And that could screw everything up. But theoretically, James Harden, he's a top five player in this league. And in my eyes, if you can make a move for him, it's it's kind of a no-brainer to me. It's very, very conflicting. It's a very, very tough situation. You're right. The James Harden, top five player, especially in a league that is superstar-driven, you know, and especially since the Giannis thing is done, you know, yeah. we're not like Giannis resigned. We, what's our backup plan now? Are we going to just have years of just like consistent, almost like San Antonio like basketball of like consistently making the playoffs, being competitive? Or do we jump the gun on an available superstar? similar to Kawhi. Now let's analyze the Kawhi situation, for example, because who do we give up? We give up a guy, DeMar DeRozan, who consistently has let us down through several playoffs, even though as much as, as much as I'm a big fan I am, you know, like he was consistently underperforming when it came down to it. Um, and then Yaka Pertle, and then a pick that turned to Keldon Johnson, I believe. Yes, yes. So with this trade, I mean, with James Harden, I think it starts with Siakam, right? Like yeah. Siakam would have to go the other way. And who else? That's the conflicting thing. Is it picks? Is it... Do you think... A comp- I don't think they would do a combination of Siakam and OG. That's, then with, that's too much. That is way too much. For the Raptors. Well, it's way too much to, for us to give up. But in a, in a if you're Houston, that's what you'd be ideally looking yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. So that's the tough part. And I don't, that's where I don't see the connect. But at the same time, I never saw the Kawhi thing ever happening. Yeah. But at the same time, Kawhi... Okay, so it's very... It's hard to say because Kawhi's trade value was lowered because he demanded a trade. Sitting out um, games. Yeah. In, for an injury too. Coming off an injury. James Harden. He's, he's a top five... Yeah, but he demanded a trade. He came to to training camp in bad shape, but still could get you like can still play in the league. But again, it's like you'll see him dominate in the um, the regular season, but his playoff record is not like Kawhi's, as in right. like Kawhi was an NBA Finals MVP. So it's it's hard to say. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think the Raptors should go in on James Harden? And who would you be willing to give up? Because I don't know. Well, when you broke down the situations there between like the James Harden dilemma right now and what Kawhi was facing earlier, two seasons ago, I think James Harden, even if he's out of shape with a pot belly, he's going to drop 40. Let's be real. Absolutely. He's going to drop a 40-point triple-double with a pot belly. And mm-hmm. that's, that's just the reality of it. Not everybody's as gifted as James Harden, but that's who he is. And in terms of who we would give up, well, at this point, 
if we look at Siakam right now, it's it might be too early to say that we should trade Siakam for Harden mm-hmm. because I you agree. know Pascal could turn it around, and then next thing you know, we have James Harden for two years, and then he's out of here because he has two years left on his deal with a player option in the third year, and we all know that superstar players decline their player options these years or these times. So, is it worth? trading away Pascal Siakam, who we have four years of team control over, for two years of James Harden, not not even really three realistically. I don't know if it's someone, worth that. Yeah, and someone who only had one poor playoffs, his first playoffs by himself, you know, and was he was part of winning a championship. So this is not a DeMar DeRozan situation. And so, Siakam was younger too. Yeah, but to be fair... Pascal also played beside a primary scorer that was Kawhi Leonard. So the pressure is different. I think Siakam performed pretty similarly to DeRozan in their first playoff series as the de facto scoring option on the team. But like I was saying, it's still early for to, I think, trade a guy like Pascal because he's still, what, one year into his max deal. So I think you got to give him a little bit of more time to live up to that deal but as you know the the leash that you have in the league to really live up to your potential as a player a coach or a gm it's short you can be on the hot seat as quick as you know they were praising you the month before for example so and ideally when you think about it like siakam would be a perfect fit with harden in that siakam yes would be that second option but we're not playing nba like 2k IGM, you know yeah <laughs> we got, it's, it's not, not my league work. it's not my league so we like, siakam 100 has to go the other way we in terms of young assets we give up i don't want to give up on malachi flynn too because i see malachi flynn being that that guard to replace kyle lowry in that being that playmaking guard for a fred van fleet the scoring shooting guard so I don't want to give him up. I could see Norm, unfortunately. Okay, he- hear me out, hear me out. So I think the Rockets are playing the long game right now because they have team control over him for at least this season and next season. We're going to see that trade market for James Harden really heat up next year when he's got two years left on his deal with the second year being the player option. So the way I see it is the Houston Rockets are just waiting for that best offer, but if James Harden continues to have these issues with, you know, for example, breaking COVID protocols to go clubbing or whatnot, or go party and his value is just going to continue to diminish. If he starts to, you know, sit out games like Kawhi did or go along that sort of path, then his trade value could go down big time. Even more. So at the same, sorry, at the same time, what if Houston's just a good team? Like, I don't think he's really given Houston a fair chance because John Wall is a good guard. DeMarcus Cousins, even though he, he had that foul trouble game the other day, I think that he, this could be a redemption year for him. Christian Wood has been playing pretty pretty decent. They still got some of the same players. Like, what if maybe he changes his mind and he realizes, oh, Houston's actually a pretty good team that could contend for a championship? Well... I think a championship talk might be a little premature for the Rockets, but of course, yeah. to be fair, Christian Wood has been balling out of his mind, which I will address later on in the podcast. But yeah, they, they do look like a team that could be good. 
in this season. But at the same time, you know, James Harden, it seems like he's just – he has his mindset on leaving the team for the Sixers or the Brooklyn Nets, which I don't think is going to happen. But no. How? Who are they going to give up? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And, I mean, if you look at the Nets, for example, the Nets, I don't think they, sh- they should give up their depth that they have because, realistically, they have to throw Karis LeVert. Absolutely. They have to give up Jared Allen. And those are key guys in the rotation. So mm-hmm. I think that's just really ruining it for the third star. That's, you know, honestly, KD and Kyrie on a good day, when they're both on, that's enough to win a game against almost anybody. So the only way I envisioned really a Raptors trade to, uh, for James Harden, and be in mind that I wrote this, I think, on December 9th for Ball and Roll, talking about a James Harden to the Raptors trade. And I, I want to give myself a little bit of credit. I wrote that way before anybody was talking about James Harden to Toronto. But mm-hmm. the, way, the only way I envisioned it is if James Harden's stock takes a hit, then the Rockets are like, all right, well, we want to get some assets for him since in this scenario that I envisioned, he became an untradeable asset, like similar to how people were lowballing on Kawhi offers. So the only trade I envisioned was James Harden and Ben McElmore for Kyle Lowry, the last year of his deal, expiring deal. Okay, Norman Powell, OG Ananobi, and two, two first-round picks. Albeit, this was very early on. And I will say, the trade is heavily lopsided for the Raptors. It's the Raptors. They're not going to get James Harden without giving up Pascal, let's be fair. But... I could see a deal where the the Rockets they just go for picks if things really go south for them this season. You know, they're not contending and they want to get the most value they can out of James Harden. I think it's fair to assume that they could get a deal similar to how Carmelo Anthony was traded out of Denver, for example. Just get some solid guys, get some draft picks, set yourself up for the future. I don't think it's too far fetched, but Looking on it back now, yeah, that, that trade is definitely way too lopsided for the Raptors. I mean, I could definitely see how, like, if you're Houston and they, that things do go south, right, they could look at a team like OKC and what they did and how they were able to yeah. flip assets to get picks and just realize, listen, we still live in an era, we swear in Western Conference, an era where LeBron and AD are together. Kawhi's in the West, you know, Luka Doncic, like the the Denver Nuggets. Listen, we're not going to be contenders for a while. Let's just stock up on picks and build for the future and find a future superstar. I can see that. Now, for the Raptors and using your scenario, my biggest thing is I don't know if the Raptors would trade Lowry unless they put him in a position where he can win a championship. I think he's earned that much respect where that's the only way I could see Kyle Lowry traded if he doesn't retire in Toronto. So that's, that's fair. He's a, a diehard Lowry fan. Um, You're wearing his jersey right now. Absolutely. He's my favorite Raptor. Yeah, that's no, that's like completely fair. And I think it's something that the front office is probably considering. But just when I look at the history of, you know, the Raptors with Masai Ujiri, they're going to do whatever it takes to win. You know, and we saw that with the DeMar DeRozan trade, which almost everyone in the Raptor fan base was questioning. They were really angry that 
our franchise, you know, our favorite son was traded yeah. away for a rental. But little did we know that rental would lead to a championship. So I guess all is good at the end of the day. Well, it still makes me sad sometimes. It does. It does. You know, it's like... He wanted to be here. Yeah, he wanted to be here. He practically grew up here. We saw him develop in front of our eyes. And Mm -hmm. I've recently been reading Doug Smith's book, uh, We the North, just chronicling the Raptors' history 25 years as a franchise. And I recently got past that DeMar DeRozan chapter. And I just remembered like how fun it was to watch a young DeRozan really learning how to figure it out. So he's definitely a model player for the team. But at the end of the day, the Raptors, like I said, they're going to do whatever it takes to win or put the Raptors in a position to win. So I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility for Lowry to get traded this season if things go south. So I just want to prepare the Raptors fans out there in case a, a, a shocking trade comes in. Just remember that this season is so different. And I think we shouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility, too, that the Raptors might tank for a season. Because if we look Mm. at the draft picks in the 2021 class, there's some nice players out there. Got guys like Cade Cunningham, for example, 6'8 point guard. He's got playmaking skills. Evan Mobley, this guy looks like a demigod out there. And I haven't looked into the other prospects yet, but definitely be sure that we're going to give you guys a 2021 draft primer sometime in the future. But yeah, I mean, everything's out there for the Raptors right now, man. They're at the bottom of the league practically and they need to figure something out soon if they're going to improve or if they're just going to, you know, make a trade or potentially tank. You know, that's the point I was going to make. Um, The reason why I would like to, part of me wants to instill winning is the culture aspect because we've for years been seen as a good winning culture, you know, consistent system, developing players. Um, But at the same time, I look at the East. We're not better than Boston. We're not better than Miami. Nope. I, this year, I don't, we're not better than Philly. Definitely not. I could make arguments. Okay. Like Indiana's better than us. Oh, for sure. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. Atlanta looks more exciting than us. Well, I'll say this about Atlanta. I think they're extremely flawed. But they have that, I would almost say superstar in Trey Young versus. That, that's true. Yeah. And they've got solid pieces. DeAndre Hunter's been playing pretty well. Um, I, there's just so many other teams in the East. I mean, you mentioned the Magic. Even like they play better than us this year. You know, and there's just, I think with this year, even though it sucks, I believe in the idea that there's, it's, you should either go for the championship or you should get the best draft pick possible. Mm, That's true. Does it affect the culture? I don't know if they purposely go out and try to lose. I'll say this. The Raptors, they've proven in the past that they can balance that line between being a good team and still hitting on your draft picks. But I will yeah. also also say this. The one year that the San Antonio Spurs really did bad for like most of their franchise history, that was the year that netted them Tim Duncan. Absolutely. Can it be something like that for the Raptors? I don't know. I mean, Kid Cunningham, he looks pretty good as a player, but I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying too. Is like, you've got to decide a, a solid direction. You have to forge out a path for the team right now 
or within the next two weeks. Because if the team continues to underperform, then you have to think, well, we've got Lowry on an expiring deal. We need to get assets for him. We can't just let him walk. So, I mean, also, you, you want to do right by Lowry to send him to a contender. But at the same time, you have to set in the future for the Raptors. So I think, if anything, right now, there's a lot of big questions that need to be addressed. You know, we don't even know if Messiah Jiri, Bobby Webster, those guys are going to be here next year. The only guy that has gotten extended from our knowledge is Nick Nurse. So we don't even know if our front office is going to be back for next year. You're absolutely right. And direction of franchise is really important. You know, going back to some of the teams we just talked about. So they, so a team like Boston, they have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown carry them for the next how many years? Miami, they got Bam, they got Tyler Hero, uh, Philly, they got Simmons and Embiid. Do we have any of those type of players on our team? No, I don't think so. So that's where the draft comes, and we can hit on our picks in terms of them develop to be a consistent uh, NBA player, a contributor to a good team like a Fred Van Fleet. Uh, or th- th- hopefully we see, and I believe so, Malachi Flynn in the future. We can get those picks, but to get the superstar, you know, there are there obviously there are occasions where you'll you might hit on them like later in the draft, but they most likely are going to be near the top of the draft. And for years, we obviously haven't touched that lane because we've been a good team. And you're right, you mentioned Tim Duncan that one year. We we need to get that type of player. We need to get that like franchise superstar player like how the Mavericks hit on freaking Luka Doncic I want that player because especially in a league I'm telling you this is this more than any other sport is a superstar driven league we just I just saw a quote today about Kyrie commenting about why he didn't play the last game and it's because I just didn't feel like playing like what other league does that like like this is a we really need a franchise superstar player and the best way to find it you know, if it's not a trade, which would rip assets like a James Harden trade would be through the draft. So that's why I'm starting to lean if we continue to play poorly toward tanking. And I will say this to sort of end our long conversation on the Raptors, but I think this year, if anything, is a good year to tank because we don't even know if the Raptors are going to play at home this season, like true home in Toronto. With like the COVID thing going all crazy right now, and the vaccine rollout being kind of uh, lackluster and slow, we don't even know if the Raptors are going to return to the Scotiabank Arena. I caught myself. I almost said yeah. Air Canada Center. <laughs> um, but yeah, we don't know if they're going to return home, and it's a shortened season, albeit ten games less than the last season. The East is look the, like you were saying. The East looks super stacked throughout the one through six, probably. Do we really want to compete to be a seven seed just to get outed in the first round mm-hmm. and then pick somewhere in the 20s? You know, we, we can't hit on those picks, but I think in this draft, if anything, you want to have a top five pick because you could, you could get a potentially generational talent in this draft. That's all I'm saying about the tanking thing. But I don't necessarily also believe in just completely stripping your team of all of its assets and all of your good players in order to try to tank for five, six years. I don't believe in the process. I think you have to be sort of circumstantial and I guess smart with which which seasons you want to tank with because you're going to have those good draft classes and you're also going to have those bad ones. So 
I think it's it's if anything, it's a year the Raptors could tank and it could turn out good for them. I mean, you mentioned I mean the perfect example of a team doing that now is the Thunder. Like they yeah. I mean, we've we talked about it before. That before, just me saying is like, yeah, they're gonna have a lot of picks, but they better do something with those picks, or it's gonna be like what they did with Durant, Harden, and Westbrook. You know. Yeah, and let's not forget that the Thunder, if they kept their pieces for the most part, they'd probably still be a playoff team this year, as they were last year. But mm-hmm. I think they're moving in the right direction, and I'm anxious to see what the Raptors do, considering we're still one in six. Hopefully, they turn it around against the Kings, but. Man, it's just a very, I guess, um, it's it's a time where the Raptors fans haven't been in a while, which is we don't yeah. have all the answers and we're not winning. So, Briefly, you mentioned the Kings. A player that has been in the trade market from what I've seen is Marvin Bagley. Yeah. What do you think of him fitting the Raptors? I did see someone write an article about it. I didn't read it, but Marvin Bagley, he's kind of a guy like Siakam where he's – extremely athletic he's very talented in that sense but I think he just doesn't have the intangibles with him per se and I don't think he necessarily answers all of the Raptors problems right now just in terms of the need for a good rebounder a good interior defender or even like a secondary playmaker I don't think he answers any of those things but if you look at him he's still very young he's got a lot of upside if you can buy low on a guy like him Yep. It might be a decent move for the future, but it also depends on what we have to give up for him. Yeah. Injury prone too. He hasn't really yeah. shown much so far. I, I do remember seeing that. I think it was his dad that said, oh, we got to get my boy yep. off the team. It was his dad. You're right. You're and right. then Luke Walden just said, like, I don't give a fuck about you or something <laughs> like that. Uh, not, a, not a direct quote. But anyways, <laughs> we, we got to move on from the rapper's talk. We got to briefly yeah. talk about the biggest surprises, you know, hot starts with the teams, some disappointing starts from other teams. Mm-hmm. And we also got to talk about the standout players. So why don't we talk about some teams that have surprised us so far? I mean, I talked a little bit about the magic. I haven't seen a magic game at all this season, but mm-hmm. somehow they were like at the top of the East at one point and they right. practically have the same team as last year. Albeit they, they got rid of uh or they lost DJ Augustine to free agency, but they brought in, I believe, Cole Anthony in the draft. Yep. It was unfortunate that Markel Fultz got injured the other day, torn ACL. Mm-hmm. He's out for the season. I was going to say also, yeah, I was going to bring up, uh, of course, Fultz, because that was so sad because, you know, he's finally having his breakout year and then that his leg, you know, that he's out for the season. Isaac was also out of the season too. And Isaac is a big part of their defense. He's one, I think one of the most underrated defensive players, his wingspan, you know? So you're, you're right. The magic, but at the same time, losing faults is going to be a big blow. So I don't know where they're going to, how far they're going to go. They got Vucevic, Eric Fournier. Uh, you're right. You mentioned Cole Anthony, uh, Mo Bamba. What about know? a boy, Terrence Ross, man. Terrence Ross. Yeah, Terrence Ross, Aaron Gordon. Like, they've been the same team for the longest time. But now they're good all of a sudden. I uh, think... It's early. <laughs> it's, it's early. And I will say this. With the Raptors' struggles and, you know, the Magic being on top of the East, a lot of it has to do with schedule, too. I think the Raptors, they've just had a really tough schedule to start out, combined with all of their circumstances of, you know, adjusting to Tampa and having the family there. And f- what fourth, right? 
And then you look at the Magic, they've just been a team that's been consistent throughout these whole years. And I will say about this, I regret not drafting Terrence Ross for my fantasy team because that boy is lighting it up right now. And I could definitely use some shooters on my team considering uh, Seth Curry just tested positive for COVID. Durant's yep. been out this whole week. And uh, all I got left is uh, Fred Van Fleet to man the ship. So that kind of sucks. I've been meaning to ask, how has your fantasy team been going? Because my team, I, we're first place. We're destroying the league. Okay. So my team on fantasy right now, we are 17 and 11. So not bad. I think we're fourth in my conference. My first week, I got absolutely crushed because Fred Van Fleet had two really bad games. And, mm. uh, yeah, I didn't get production out of guys like Bogdan Bogdanovich. Or not Bogdan. Boyan Bogdanovich, the guy from Utah. He's been absolutely trash, and people are talking yep. about dropping him. And I'm just like, fuck, why, why did I draft this guy? Albeit, I think I got him sixth, seventh round, so it was pretty Ooh. good value, I think. But... Yeah, he's just been a complete letdown. So I, I'm looking for answers right now deep in the available talent pool right now. But yeah, fantasy aside, I mean, some teams that are really doing well right now that I think need to be highlighted. You know, the Sixers, they definitely started off really hot. They're looking like a really good defensive team and they're still the same offensive team. But I, I hate to say it, but I think the Sixers might come crashing down to earth fairly soon. Mm. It just depends on when their schedule is going to get a little tougher. Uh, oh, I have both Ben Simmons and uh, Joel Embiid on my fantasy team. By the way, I got them both and Kelly Oubre Jr. for Zion. That's, that's a that, dumb trade. That was a robbery. It's because the guy, I'm not going to out that man, but like he really wanted Zion, but oh, robbed him. But anyways, with the on the Sixers, um, I don't know. I just see their identity different. You know, Tobias Harris um, is playing better. You know, Seth Curry has been a better fit than... Um, well, but Josh Richardson's been a pretty decent fit for um, the Mavericks, too. But, like, I, I, the Curry being a really good three-point shooter, I think having players where Ben Simmons can dish out and stretch the floor has helped them. We'll see the chemistry of Simmons and... Uh, um, Embiid. I saw a clip from a game where Simmons attempted a three-point and he just clanked that. But at least he's shooting. At yeah. least he's shooting. He's got to be at that. least... He has to make the open ones at least to be a threat. Mm-hmm. And the game where... And we'll talk about a certain player on this team, but the Wizards uh, Sixers game, I was watching that and the Sixers won. Um, but Simmons is their best defensive player. And Simmons is probably one of the best defensive players in the league. Yeah. Uh, I think that needs to be uh, noted. So I don't know. I, uh, I think that this year could be the year if it wasn't for a team like the Nets being, you know, very dominant. But the Sixers could be a good team this year, like a championship contender, in my view. Yeah, that's, that's definitely fair, considering that they're off to this hot start right now. I think the Bucks will eventually start to pick up too. Uh, the Nets, I mean, they've looked like somewhat inconsistent, but we all know they're going to turn the corner when mm. it matters the most. So right now, it it's, doesn't really matter too much. Just build some chemistry. I mean, the loss of Spencer Dinwiddie for this season, that's pretty tough, but they got a lot of players that can fit in in terms of uh, Tyler Johnson, for example. He balled out in the bubble, especially versus the Raptors. 
So maybe he can step up, and they got other players on their roster too. So th- they'll be fit. They'll they'll be players to fit in. Just very briefly, going back to that Raptors thing about like who is better than the Raptors in the East and why we shouldn't contend. I completely forgot about the freaking Milwaukee Bucks because there's just been so many teams. Um, and then, yeah, the Brooklyn Nets are just, I think, the best team in the East, in my view. Is it controversial? I don't know. No, but, man. I, I'll well, tell no, you this. Like, you know, go ahead, no. Yeah, like I was just going to say that to start out the season before no preseason games, no knowledge whatsoever, I picked the Nets to come out of the East. I see that too. I, I, I think I was leaning toward that, but at the same time, you know, Boston is just, you know, the, Tatum is continuously getting better. Yeah. Uh, Jason, um, Jalen Brown is in some ways underrated. Some people have even said that he could be better than Jason Tatum, which that's an interesting take. Amen. I, I definitely see it. I mean, the things he was doing in this, to start out this season, he just looks so smooth out there. It reminds me almost of when DeMar DeRozan took his next step as a scorer in his career. I'm seeing that sort of same step that, you know, Brown's taking in terms of his offensive game and his defense, his defense is his defense. He's always going to be a good defender. You know, and I'm just going to say it out here that Tatum and Brown are some of the players that we're going to mention for our, like, you know, good players that are playing really good to start out the season. Yeah, Boston looks very good, albeit they've had a lot of close games and their defense hasn't looked great. Well, let's just be real. When you have two players that are producing on the level of Tatum and Brown, they're going to win a lot of games. And when their defense picks up, they're just going to be even more scary to match up with. Yeah, and I haven't caught many Celtics games. I haven't seen the fit of Tristan Thompson. Um, it's it's kind of awkward from the one game I saw of them against the Raptors. Cause I was also going to, going back to the Bucks. I haven't caught many of their games too. I was wondering uh, Drew Holiday's fit. with. Yeah, the, uh, I haven't seen a Bucks game yet this season either. The only one I can remember is their 20-point loss to the Knicks before mm-hmm. the Knicks yes. play the Raptors and then went ice cold from deep. But, yeah, I mean, it's early. Let's, let's give some teams the benefit of the doubt besides, like, the yeah. Raptors anyway because everybody's dealing with these weird circumstances to start out this uh, abbreviated season or, you know, you got that short off season like I was saying. I don't have to repeat myself. But, yeah, I mean – the Bucks they're going to turn it around because they have Giannis. Bobby Portis has been solid for my fantasy. I picked him up on a flyer, and oh let's boy. just say he's, he's bringing in the points and the rebounds, man. He's solid. Yeah, Bobby Portis. Yeah, and uh, I mean, a couple more teams we want to mention. Uh, the Knicks, for example, like we were talking yeah. about earlier, they beat the Bucks. I think they beat the Pacers the other night, too. I think they're 5-3 and three on the season. And Julius Randle. Yeah, Julius Randle. He might be an MVP candidate. That's just uh, 2021 in a nutshell so far. But, yeah, I mean, Tom Thibodeau is just having them play hard. I think that's the biggest thing right now. They're sort of going back to that 90s toughness that the Knicks used to have with uh, Jeff Van Gundy and uh, Charles Oakley and them boys. So, you know, I think the Knicks, you know, we, we always like to clown on the Knicks. We always like to clown on them. But I think they they could be a legitimate like playoff team this year. This is just you know this is this is such a Knicks thing to happen, like <laughs> the season where they like 
the East is even more solidified than other years. They finally be, to be, uh, decide to be somewhat decent, and they could jeopardize them getting another franchise player that can build around R.J. Barrett, and they're going to fall into like the middle of the draft and continue the cycle of mediocrity. Because like, <laughs> like, these players, none of these players are going to be on the team in the near future. That's true. So this is all just a delay. If I'm a Knicks fan, I don't care for any of this. Yeah, that's fair. For me, I would want the Knicks to continue to to be bad. Uh, just let the players who play, you know, get their paychecks. Because Julius Randle, we all know he's overpaid. Like, he yeah. came to the Knicks for a paycheck. Uh, especially in a year when they were supposed to get KD and Kyrie. I'm sorry, that's just too funny. It's Zion. <laughs> But yeah, like they, this is nothing. I don't know. They, they should they should be tanking. This is kind of cool because it's not we're not used to. It's a joke, in because we're not used to seeing the Knicks win games. You know, even though I believe the Raptors' one win was against the Knicks. So yeah, it was. Still got their ass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as long as you don't lose to the Knicks as a Raptors fan. But no, I, I'm I'm okay with the Knicks being good again, just as good. long as I don't That's hear any news about James Dolan. I mean, I don't like James Dolan at all. So as long as I don't yeah. hear about him, then we're cool. But yeah, I guess things are looking up for the Knicks. And then um, I guess uh, if there's no other teams you want to mention that are a big surprise, I, th- I just want to talk briefly about some disappointments in terms of the Blazers, for example. I think a lot of people have viewed them as a team that was going to take the next step defensively with their acquisitions of uh, Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. And mm-hmm. They just look completely soft on defense still. I mean, Steph Curry hung a 60-point game on their ass. So, yep. it's very telling that the Blazers are still extremely flawed. I mean, they could still make it to the Western Conference Finals potentially like they did a couple seasons ago. It just depends on who they match up with and whatnot. But, yeah, the Blazers, I mean, I'm, I'm just disappointed because I thought they were going to take a step on the defensive end, still have that elite offense built around CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard, but they just haven't performed up to that expectation. Yeah. Is Rocco still that player anymore? Like that he has this like perception of him of being like this defensive force, that guy you can play on any star player. Is he that type of guy anymore? I don't even know. I don't, I don't think he was last year. I mean, He's not a defensive player of the year guy, but in his prime, he was, I think he was all defense second team at least once. Yeah. You know, Rocco was just that guy that was going to fill in on the wings as a defender, which the Blazers didn't have for a while, the last couple seasons. And I mean, from what I've seen from them so far, they're going to struggle against those teams that have really good wings, like the, like the Lakers, the the Clippers. And Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm just disappointed in the Blazers, man, because I thought they were going to be better than this. Yeah, because they had Trevor Reza last year, I believe. So they've been looking for that wing player to fit their team. And and it hasn't been going well for them. And I mean, uh, just in terms of like other disappointing teams, we mentioned the Raptors. We don't have to talk about them anymore. Uh, The Wizards, I think a lot of people were expecting the Wizards to come out with a hot start. Russ fans. Russ fans, yeah. Let's be on. Let's call them out. It's Russ fans because the rest of the people know that they were not going to improve dramatically because of Russell Westbrook. Here's the (laughs) quick tidbit I have to say about the Wizards. 
I think low-key, one of their best players isn't even playing that much, and that's Denny Avdia. The one games, or the, I think I've seen two games of the Wizards now, just on and off. But I remember the game versus the Bulls that they had, and Denny Avdia, he's, he's extremely efficient for his like, playing time. He doesn't make too many mistakes out there. He's not a lockdown defender, but he's a solid team defender. And he's been shooting it surprisingly well. It's just he's been buried in the rotation behind, you know, other players who maybe deserve to play more. But, you know, I think if they play Denny Avdia a little bit more, they're just going to see their team look a lot better on offense. And it's not just going to be like, you know, for example, they just run this stupid ISO with uh, Bradley Beal all the time or pick and roll, pick and roll. And maybe that's because of Scott Brooks. He's not the most creative coach on offense. But I, I just want to say one more thing about the Wizards. Thomas Bryant, he's so dumb. I was so going to mention him. He took my point. He's so dumb, man. Like, <sighs> I, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, man. I don't know what it's like to play in the NBA. But can you at least not foul on every single play? Like, <laughs> goddamn. You are so stupid, man. Get your shit together. God. My thing on him was is that like he's he's pretty gifted offensively. Like he can get you a few buckets, but at the same time he gives up the same amount, if not more, which yeah. makes him a liability in this league. Like he's one of the worst defensive centers in the league, in my oh view. God. And he gets like so frustrated too. Yeah. Like when he gets uh when he doesn't get a right call, he thinks he's Joel Embiid or something. <laughs> Calm down, bro. You are not Joel Embiid. You are not on the level of these elite centers. Like he, he just needs to know that if he was a little bit smarter, I think his team would be a lot better. I I just want to say uh, that. You know, I'm I'm about to say is this free Bradley Beal, man. That guy scores sixty and still loses. Like what? And you know, we have him listed here as one of our standout players to start out the year. We'll just transition over to that. But honestly, it's been like this for Bradley Beal for a while now. Let's be honest. Even when Westbrook wasn't here, when John Wall was injured, when he was here, it was always Bradley Beal carrying the offensive scoring load, and it literally didn't account to anything. I remember that one game that he had versus the Raptors where Pascal went off for a career high. He was mm-hmm. absolutely balling out of his mind, and that game went to overtime or double overtime. And I was just thinking, man, Bradley Beal has no help. But I also think it's probably Scott, Scott Brooks's fault a little bit because if the dude had better sets offensively, then maybe, you know, Bradley Beal wouldn't have to carry so much on offense. You know, there's other players you can go to instead of Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook, every other possession. But really, who though <laughs> at the same time? Well, I mean, like, you know, I, I'm not going to say that I have all the answers here, let's be honest. Yeah. But, you know, if you just look at other coaches in the league, I think they could get a lot more out of this roster than what Scott Brooks is currently. I, yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. But they've the Wizards have been just a mess for years, and I think at this point, like I understand Bradley Beal's lo- wanting for loyalty and that type of stuff to the franchise, but they do, they've been doing you so dirty, man, and yeah. uh, Russ ain't it. And I know, I just noticed because there are Russell stands out there. Think, think they still think the moon of him, you know, but at this now, nah, I think Beal needs to go. I don't know where he would go again, 
that could be a whole conversation itself with trade rumors, but um, I just Yo, think that he should be traded. Beal to the Raptors, please. That would be a, a good fit, I would think, but a, a pipe dream as we were talking about other pipe dreams earlier. Um, another player we got to mention real quick, Colin Sexton. Man, he's balling yes. out of his mind, bro. I, I made a big mistake. I could have drafted him in my, in my fantasy, I think, uh, like round four or something or round five. I drafted him. I have him on my team. He's killing it. That guy is absolutely balling out of his mind right now. He, oh, I, I've been think, knowing that this guy was going to blow up. Garland has been playing great. That's a future backcourt for, uh, for Cleveland. That If you're a Cavs fan, you should be excited about that duo. Um, and can I say, too, that that backcourt, that backcourt has the best nickname in the NBA right now, Sexland. Sexland. I I saw that. I was like, oh my days. I think that was like, <laughs> like that was kind of circling around the league. I think last year, but mm-hmm. now they're like a legitimate duo. And you know, Andre Drummond has surprisingly looked really good. Probably the best he's looked his entire career. Except you know? for that shack of the fool. I'm sorry. I saw that today uh, of a clip of Andre Drummond where he was trying to make a play, and then this is what happens when Drummond finally gets an ISO, and he oh freaking – it was against uh, Valanchunas. Did you see that clip? I did Where he freaking um, – he, he was waiting – like, they were, they were set, doing a set where he was supposed to dish it off to one of the guards, but the, the, all the guards were covered. So then he decided to take it into his own hands and try to do, like, a spin move, oh my lay God. up, and this man throws it away from the net, and it goes the other way. <laughs> Yikes. I it mean, let's so be funny. fair. Andre Drummond's no uh, Hakeem Olajuwon, but uh, yeah, but yeah, but I was gonna go back to Sexton. I was gonna make a point that Sexton is, I'm pretty sure, an undersized shooting guard. Yeah, so he, he's like he's six, six two, two. I believe. Yeah, and he's been just balling out there. So I'm, I'm really excited. To, especially again, I picked him in fantasy, so I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> To be fair, I, I haven't played fantasy seriously since I want to say 2012 or 2013. That was like literally the last time I played fantasy. So it's kind of weird for me to transition back to it. And I'll briefly mention that one season, I played a whole season without doing anything. And somehow I made it to the finals. Oh my God. Completely on auto. Oh my days. That, I mean, I was a kid back then. I, I think I just forgot about it. Man, I check every single day. I'm checking the recent activities, the waivers. I'm making sure that my team's on top, even though I'm dominating the league. Like, Yeah, I've started to do that recently too. Like the first thing I check when I wake up in the morning, and this is like sometimes now really early in the morning at like 5, 6 a.m. Just open my phone. I go straight to my fantasy, see if anybody was dropped, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's it's kind of addicting, so... I think we're going to have to plan a uh, fantasy, a dedicated fantasy segment for this now that we're both really into it. But uh, we got to talk about a couple more uh, players before we end off this podcast real quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, we mentioned Tatum and Brown already. You know, Malcolm Brogdon, he's been balling out of his mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw someone on Instagram comments that watching Malcolm Brogdon play is like looking at Kawhi Leonard in a point guard's body just in terms of the way he moves on offense. It's so smooth, so efficient. And, man, the Pacers, like we were saying earlier, they look really good. And then the last player I want to mention real quick is Christian Wood because, man, the Pistons did him dirty by not offering a contract at all concerning what he did. I believe he he didn't want to be with the Pistons at the same time. That's what I've heard from Pistons fans. Yeah, and I mean, 
I I wouldn't be want to be in Detroit either, to be honest with you. I mean, oh, no. but he is balling out of his mind right now. Christian Wood, he's looking like a light version of Anthony Davis. Ooh, hot take, but I don't think it's that hot, considering their play styles are pretty similar. Yeah, I, I and that goes back to my thing. Like, I don't know. Like, Houston could be something if James Harden just you know he buys in buys into it right this isn't russell westbrook also you got a uh, john wall i believe again this is a little bit of a hot take but i don't care man i'll I'll fight eddie russ fan right now john wall is better than russell westbrook in That's terms fair. of team chemistry uh efficiency uh playmaking speed well actually i don't know about that one because russ is pretty athletic i'll give russ is athletic but that's not that was never his problem his problem was always been the the iq plays and i believe john wall to be a better iq player i think like one thing i just thought of now that i really want to mention before we end off this podcast is i think houston just in general they made a big mistake of letting james harden decide too many of the moves for the franchise Mm -hmm. like when you think about it James Harden was the one that, you know, wanted to get Dwight Howard on the team and then inevitably pushed him off the team. Though, to be fair, it probably worked out better for them than, you know, with Capella on the team. But then we move on to the Chris Paul signing. He wanted to get Chris Paul traded. He wanted to get Capella traded to go ultra small. And then when it came to the playoffs, James Harden was the one that didn't really perform out of everybody, really. So... I just want to say that the Rockets made a big mistake with that. But, you know, regardless, they're going to have to find some way to move on with him or without him eventually. Well, that goes back to my point about players dictate the league, you know. Um, And then I wanted to bring up one more player. Um, Steph Curry. Uh, I just wanted to say for anyone who might have forgotten because he was gone for a year, Steph Curry is the best point guard in the league. And he's the best shooter of all time. My God, that that game, 62. Yeah. Especially that last shot, man. That's just so Steph Curry. Like, I didn't realize how much I missed Steph Curry. Like, I want to put it out there. I, I never hated the Warriors. I only disliked the Warriors when Kevin Durant joined the team because that was just ridiculously unfair and a snakish move of Kevin Durant, which again, we can go hours. We won't go into that today, but I'm just saying like the Warriors were always a fun team to watch and Steph Curry gets such a bad rep. And I, and you know, as a LeBron fan, I know a lot of LeBron fans would rip on Steph Curry's clutch, lack of clutch, blah, 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 blah. But let's not get it twisted. Steph Curry is the best point guard. He show, he's going to show it again this year. He, Early candidate to be maybe an MVP this year. I can definitely see it. You know, I don't know if you caught the slander on Steph Steph Curry early to start the season when the Warriors didn't have a win yet. But I was hearing people like uh, Bear Beats Basketball, for example, on Instagram. He was basically saying that Steph Curry was the greatest complimentary player of all time, but he's not going to be the one that, you know, leads an entire offense. And to that point, I say... Man, like, come on. An entire offense was built around this man's shooting ability. He revolutionized the game of basketball. Literally, people are chucking up 30, or teams are chucking up 33s a game because of this man and showing the effectiveness of doing that. 
So all I can say to that is bullshit. And, you know, they got to put some respect on Curry's name, man. He's just so fun to watch. And the excitement he has for the game. And again, his like, yeah, his shooting is just unbelievable. And people like he is so hard to guard because like you have to like really go out at him because he can stretch it from he can shoot from way back. And then when they're guarding him like that, then he can blow past them and he has a good finishing ability himself. You can't foul him because he's a good free throw shooter. He's also a good playmaker. So he's just I'm, I'm no no curry slander. I don't want to he- I don't want to see it. I'm I'm done. And with the Warriors, we can talk about very briefly about the Warriors. You know, the, uh, Wiggins and Kelly Oubre. <laughs> Man, the <laughs> the Brick Bros, as uh, people were referring to them. Yeah, that's tough. But Wiseman's been playing okay though. Yeah, and I mean, I think the biggest difference for the Warriors was having Draymond back because you have someone that can actually make a play, and it's not just you know boxing one on Curry. They can actually break out of it. So. I think it just it's going to come down to having their supporting players really produce at the level that we know they can. You know, Wiggins needs to be at least somewhat decent. Same with Oubre. They need to chip in where they can. And, you know, Wiseman's been good. Draymond's going to be Draymond and Curry's going to be Curry. But it's really just those guys, Oubre and Wiggins. Those are the X factors. If, if you don't get production out of them, then it's going to be tough. I thought it'd be different for Wiggins. I'm not going to lie. I really thought he'd he, he'd be better just because, you know, he's finally in a winning situation. But He he was the chosen one, but, yeah, things have changed drastically. And uh, things have definitely changed a lot for the Raptors too. But regardless, we're going to be here all season to cover everything around the NBA. You know, Raptors number one over everything, but <laughs> we're going to talk about the other teams regardless. So... Until then, you know, make sure you follow our social media on Instagram at NBA Most Valuable Podcast. Leave a five-star rating on Apple Music or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, if you can. That would definitely help us out with the ratings just for our podcast to get discovered. And we're going to be back next time to talk more NBA, man.